Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley, and I am the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Super Psyched is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. We are back for episode number two of a two-part series with the great storyteller, Joel Ben-Izzy. I felt it was important to make this into a longer episode as stories are so central to our psychology. And Joel has the ability to make everything so much fun that time just flies by as you listen to him. In this episode, we will go deeper into Joel's story as well as continuing our discussion on the richness of telling stories. I hope you, the listener, enjoy this as much as I did. I believe you will. Joel, it is your, sto- your story is incredible. In fact, this part of your story alone could be made into a movie. But um, the way you discovered that you had cancer and what transpired afterwards and the calamitous aftermath of the surgery. Um, I'm wondering if you'd share that story. Yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell a little bit of it. Um, my father used to say, people make plans and God laughs. Man tracht and God lacht. And uh, I remember it was just around Purim one year. This was way back in 1997. And I was, I thought I had the secret of happiness. You know, I thought I'd figured things out because I thought, look at this. I can turn any curse into a blessing just by how I tell the story. And as long as I can tell the story, I'm golden. And I remember sitting on the porch with my wife and saying, you know, I am completely happy and I plan to be happy for a very long time. And as I said this, I watched our two young children at age two and five, raking up some leaves in the yard and thought, yep, I've got it figured out. And she didn't hear me because if she would, she would everyone, wishing away the evil eye. It was the very next day I woke up from the strangest dream. And the dream was that I had um, I'd gone downstairs to a piano. I lifted it high above my head and then dropped it on my foot and then went back to bed. That was a dream. But I woke up convinced it was real because the right big toe was swollen like a tomato. It was one of those scenes. I pulled the, sh- the covers back. My wife said, my God, look at your toe. It looks like it's going to explode. You've got to call a doctor. I said, oh, no, 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 no. My, I, my motto is never call a doctor. Hers is <laughs> cancer till proven otherwise. She said, Joel, she's going to explode. Yeah. I said, this is fine. I was just about to go when my daughter, who was two at the time, came to hug me goodbye. And she stepped on my doctor, doctor. My wife picked up the phone, dialed the advice nurse. I told her the whole thing. She said, you have gout. I said, gout? She said, yeah, you have gout. It's called the rich man's disease. I said, I know what it's called. My father had it and he never got the money. What do I do? <laughs> you do this, I'll fax in a prescription and you'll be fine. It'll make it go away. Sure enough, she faxed in a prescription. I took it. The gout went away. Like a month and a half later, I got a postcard for a doctor's office. And as my mother used to say, a doctor's appointment is a terrible thing to waste, right? <laughs> I, I ended up in this doctor's office and uh, 
And a guy, a doctor comes in, his name was Ishmael. I said, hey, can I call you Ishmael? He said, call me Ishmael. And uh, <laughs> chatted good. about this and that. And then he, he finally said, so what are you doing here? And I said, um, I don't know, you're the doctor, you tell me. I'd forgotten all about the gout. And he said, uh, he said, well, let's see, medical records, typed it in. He said, oh, you have gout. I said, I had gout for five minutes. I took the pills, they went away. He said, all right, good. As long as you're here, let me examine you. And he starts to feel my neck. And I say, doctor, that's not my foot. That's my neck. You're the doctor, but that's my neck. He said, no. He said, why are you examining my neck? He said, I'm an endocrinologist. Necks are my specialty. To which I said the only thing I could say, which is, it's a good thing you're not a proctologist because where would that put us? And he, he said, you know, you have a little bump in your neck. I said, doctor, I have a lot of bumps in my neck. That's, that's what a neck is, a lot of little bumps. He said, no, you have one that shouldn't be here. I said, doctor, I shouldn't be here. The gout is gone. I stopped joking when he went to a drawer, opened it up, and pulled out a needle. It was this long. And by this, I'm holding my fingers 18 inches apart. <clears throat> Who comes up with a needle? I said, wait, 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 wait. What's in the needle? He said, look, chances that this is anything to worry about are, are one in a thousand. He said, just the same, I'd like to aspirate it to be on the safe side. I said, will this hurt? He said, what do you think? Mm-hmm. I'll spare you those details. Sure. But it was, a, it was a couple weeks later on my son's fifth birthday that he called. And he said, hi, this is Ishmael. I said, hey, I said, call me Ishmael, and you're calling me Ishmael. How about that? And, uh, and he said a whole bunch of things, but I only heard one word, and it started with C. And there is no good way to tell one's wife one has cancer, especially I hadn't told her about the needle in the neck because I didn't want to worry her. Um, I tried a little tumor humor, right? explaining I had one of those little 24-hour tumor things, but it was a, wasn't a big deal. This was thyroid cancer. And so that this, this sort of led into the surgery. And I remember trying to convince her and saying, no, this is going to be a great story. There's a, a needle in the neck. There's a gout. And I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a wonderful story. She said, Joel, this isn't a story. This is our life. I said, no, you just watch. I'll, as soon as I get out, I'm going to tell this story. And that was pretty much the last thing I said. And when I woke up from surgery, I remember looking around thinking that was in some kind of dream, maybe. I went to say some adventure this is, and what came out was nothing. I'm seeing your lips move and nothing coming out. And I thought, this is a dream. And I, I waited for it to end. And several hours later, the sun rose, and I realized I was wide awake. And could no longer speak. And this, you know, of course, this led to a journey. And our journeys that we take, there uh, are not ones we necessarily intend to take. Some of most powerful ones are ones we never intended. And it's a, it's a subtle distinction between the, the schlep and a journey. Mm. You know, and sometimes what starts as a schlep turns into a journey. And, uh, the doctor said, oh, I wouldn't worry. Give it a couple weeks, maybe a month. Your voice will be right back. A couple weeks. After a couple weeks, I said, doctor, now I had a whisper. It's been a couple weeks. I still can't talk. He said, I wouldn't worry. Like I say, a month. And after a month, I said, doctor, it's been a month. I can't talk. He said, I wouldn't worry. Give it two months. And after two months, I said, doctor, it's been two months. I can't talk. And he looked at the chart and said, do you realize it's been two months? Yeah, two months. He said, if it's been two months since surgery, this is permanent. Ugh. You won't be able to speak again. I hope this doesn't affect your work. Ugh. And that set me off on the journey. So that was the, uh, 
That was the end then one day moment. And I'm just thinking about this. Here you are very much an optimist. Everything is coming up roses. You came from a really tough past. Uh, Both of your parents really had their dreams dashed for different reasons. Your father was an inventor who may have actually succeeded had he been a little bit luckier. And there you were at the precipice of all good things happening. You're a father, you're happily married, you're really in your strength as a storyteller, and you can only whisper. You can't, you're, you're nearly mute. I wonder, how did you cope with that, that horror? Badly, mm. in a word. I mean, there, you know, you, you're, a, you're a therapist, you know, sometimes we, we get stuck in things and we think, wow, this is terrible. And we seem to keep going down and down and the, the quicksand gets deeper and deeper. And then we look and we say, well, at least I've hit bottom. Whoa, but there's a trap door. We can go down a little further. We go down further and further and further. And uh, somebody hands us a shovel and we dig deeper and deeper. I mean, I, I yeah. just, I flailed. I went into denial. I screamed. And the screams sound like this. <laughs> and every time I, I opened my mouth, I had the idea sound would come out. Through an odd twist and turn of events, I, I met a teacher who was a storyteller. And when he heard what happened, he said, ah, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. To which I said, he said, no. <laughs> you, were, you were mouthing the words BS. That's pretty much. He said, this is a gift. You just need to learn how to unwrap it. And that's what the, the book, The Beggar King and the Secret of Happiness, it weaves together my story of the lost voice and of learning to accept that it would never come back and see that as a blessing. It weaves together that story with stories from folk tales and wisdom tales I've collected around the world. I, I can only imagine what was going through you when you were experiencing all that you experienced, having your profession uh, at risk, having your life itself at risk. And I'm thinking about the stories that are within us and they're swimming around like fish and that until they're actually told and maybe heard by another or at least written down and externalized they continue to swim and possibly even cause damage i'm wondering if you could speak to the healing process of actually birthing a story getting it out from within it's you're exactly right. I think of it sometimes like I think of flowers, you know, where you, you pick a bouquet of them and they're beautiful, but if you don't change the water, they can start to really stink. Yes. You know? And sometimes <laughs> there are these lovely things that can come out so nicely, but if they don't come out, they just can, can rot inside us. That's true. You know, and, and sometimes, sometimes that's the process of, of taking something difficult and feeling, all right, I'm going to tell this as a story now and turn it into something that, that we can learn from, which is one way of redeeming it, or we can turn it into something that we can hold and say, all right, this is the story. I survived this. And just the fact that I'm telling the tale is a help in itself. Yeah, absolutely. We're such meaning-based animals and we need to find a meaning and where we're searching. And it's almost like a record that's skipping until we are able to somehow couch it in a manner 
that makes sense to us. And it might not be the entirety of the story. It might be just a small portion, but if it makes sense to us, that can be in and of itself healing. At least that's been my experience. Is that consistent with yours? That is true. Yeah. Sometimes a little part, just being able to say it and hear it with your own ears. You know, the old Jewish saying goes, may your ears hear what your mouth is saying, (laughs) you know? And um, I I was thinking how other episodes you talk about fear. And uh, I think sometimes, you know, we, when we fear something, we have to go towards it. Telling our story is a way of, is a way of addressing that sometimes. You know, when we avoid uh, something, it, it leads to greater anxiety. And the paradox of anxiety is we have to actually merge with the thing that scares us, uh, that when we merge with it, things, it, we have plenty of empirical evidence that anxiety shrinks and you're speaking, uh, you're speaking my language. <laughs> I speak a little anxiety too. <laughs> well, I think it's really, really embedded actually in uh, the epigenetics of Jews and other people whose uh, ancestors have experienced profound traumas. Uh, so I That's, think that stories are all the more relevant. You know, there's another side to that that I don't think is discussed as much, which is in addition to trauma being passed down, I think resiliency is passed down. Right. And there's a way that that we don't just get, you know, that sort of layers and layers of trauma built up from generations of generations, because otherwise it just gets worse and worse. Now, I think we we get the gifts and we get the, the wisdom. And, and in a way, the, the stories that we have that carry us become a kind of a technology that help us help us survive. Exactly. Yeah, technology that helps us survive. That's so powerful to have a narrative that almost acts as a personal role model for how to live our lives. It's as if the narrative becomes a living being. I think so. I mean, it's a way we keep our ancestors alive. Um, I mean, the myth is a whole other conversation, but people use the word myth often derogatorily where they say, oh, well, that's just a myth. And in fact, mythology is something really so powerful and so important. And I think we suffer from pretending we don't have mythology. And we want to believe in these bigger ideals that have developed over time that are that are rich and come up from the earth and connect us to all that has been and all that will be. It's used sometimes synonymously with the word lie. And a myth is not a lie at all. And so when you're talking about those stories that really help connect us and strengthen us, the myth, the richness is there. And I think that that comes through along with inherited trauma. So true. And I'm thinking about some of the things that you've said, some of the axioms that you've mentioned. I'll I'll do my best to paraphrase that something doesn't have to be factual in order to be true. Um, That uh, you tell a story about a cricket who's trying to jump to the moon and he spends his lifetime tragically giving it his all. And it's a heartrending story and he dies without having succeeded. But for generations uh, afterward, he is known and remembered as the one who reached the moon. That's and right. I love that story so, so very much. Oh, I'm Enjoy. so glad that stuck with the cricket who jumped to the moon. Um, because that's, uh, you know, the, the book, the, the Beggar King and the Secret of Happiness, each chapter opens with a story. It's so great. And they're they're all folk tales um, at the very beginning, except for the cricket who jumped to the moon. 
And what happened there was I had a story that I wanted to use by James Thurber, and uh, and I I just I. It wasn't quite right, and I couldn't get the rights to it, and it didn't say quite what I wanted. So I built that story. I, I crafted that story of the the cricketer jump to the moon because there's a there's a notion, I think, in some Asian cultures that the face on the moon is a cricket. Ah, uh, yeah, and in Japan, it's actually a, a rabbit pounding mochi. <laughs> uh huh. That's right. Which is such a random. So great. Example. I love. Yeah. I can actually. It's it's funny. I, ever since I've lived there, I always see the rabbit yeah. pounding mochi. I see the hammer. I see the ear. Oh yeah. Well, this is the beauty of stories, you know, that that they are hidden in plain view. When you open up your eyes and ears and heart and gut to see stories, you start to see them everywhere. I mean, we were talking before about um, story prompts. We had talked about um, about a place you used to like to go. But I'll just mention a few of my other favorite prompts that your listeners can think about. And, and with any of these... The trick is to give yourself some time. And it really can be literally a minute of silence. And think about it with all your senses. So, for example, one I love is to think about a teacher that you remember. And generally, when you offer a prompt, somebody will come to mind first, or something will come to mind first. And that's the one to go with. So to think about that, and then with that teacher, you would go back to a, a time and a place, and maybe it's a maybe it's someone you saw again and again. Maybe think of a particular time, a particular encounter, and that moment that you go there, and and maybe there's something that you learned there, and you can already see that you're going from a memory into a story. Another one I love is um, think about time when you found yourself astounded by a single color and then bring in those other senses and we're telling a story like this when they go to share it they wouldn't necessarily say well this is a story about yellow they might say no this is a story about about driving through canyon lands in the southwest and turning this corner on this hot day when we had like nothing to drink at all in the car and we thought where are we going to find something we're dying of thirst and suddenly we saw something that completely took our breath away and that might lead to the story of the color so this is you know i mean i mean so much of my work these days is helping people to find and tell their stories i think this is particularly apt now i've been talking to a um I guess it would be a retirement community where people are living and it's sort of there's beautiful places and beautiful places to live that generally have all these activities where people are just isolated now as as we're in seclusion. Right. And I thought, what if we let 2020 be the summer of stories? We've got a lot going on, right? We've got that discussion on race we've been meaning to have for 400 years mm. here in the United States. Finally, Finally maybe we're starting to have it. <laughs> Pandemic going on. And I think there's an election. I don't know if you heard about it coming up. There's a lot, lot happening. But I thought, yeah, there's all that happening out in the world. And it's really important to know how to engage with it. But what if we could turn inside and start to find the stories that we have that are waiting to be shared? And so we're treasures. With seniors. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we say, I think, what if 
what if we could just take some prompts, find a story buddy, find that time to share with your friends and family, and really begin to to just turn these these memories into just this treasures. I know that when I first went to tell stories, I developed an independent study. I was at Stanford, but I dropped, I, I dropped out, traveled, was at Santa Cruz, and I had done this independent study in storytelling. And I, I remember standing up to announce to the class because I was supposed to do my final performance. You know, I know the class was just my English class, but I needed to get somebody there to hear my stories. And I remember standing up and said, um, I am telling stories tonight um, in College 5 Lounge. And um, there, um, it, it's free, and there will be food. And I sat down, and somebody. Um, what a sales pitch, by the way! Yeah, that, was, that, that was, was. I, I killed it. Right. <laughs> so a girl I didn't know came up to me and said, "Oh, stories. That's interesting." I said, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She said, "Are you nervous?" I said, "Yeah. Wouldn't you be?" And she said, "Well, that depends." She said, "The stories you're telling. What stories are they?" I said, "Oh, the stories." I'm not worried about the stories. The stories are are like old Jewish folk tales. They're they're beautiful stories. They're like polished rocks in a stream. I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about me. And she said, oh, in that case, you don't really have to worry. Because I think when you tell a story, you become a conduit. The story flows through you, and you disappear. I thought, wow, that's great advice. And I have no idea who she was. I never saw her again. She didn't come that night. She may have been an angel for all I knew, but it's this its this bridge you build to someone and the story sort of happens between it. And I, you know, as I, as I talk to you, of course, I realize this is the therapeutic process as well. Right. right? What happens between you and the client really is between you. It's something that, that where you meet in the middle. And that place you meet in the middle is the way I think of story. Can we meet in the realm of story? How do we dislodge from a conflict we might have or from a not knowing how to connect? How do we find that place where we can meet, where we're open to possibilities? And that's why, you know, with so much of these days I'm I'm doing consulting to different organizations, to leaders who say, how do I get my message across? And, and a message, you know, we get so many messages. We get so much information. I remember when I was a kid, you know, reading a study that uh, average person would see like 2000 images a day telling them what to do. That is so quaint. Now that was before the internet, right? You know, we see, I have no idea how many, we see tens of thousands of images flashing on us instantly, and we are overwhelmed right. with messages. So what happens with, with a story is it does exactly the opposite. Instead of pushing the message, it draws us in. It nurtures that tiny strand of curiosity, and it draws us forward so we want to know. The story is a problem that makes us curious, makes us care, touches us in our head, our heart, and our gut. And what we do is with the story, we can create that curiosity. We can draw people forward. We can make them want to see the solution that we have once they appreciate the problem. Because God knows we got a lot of problems. 
We sure do. I love where you're going with this. Here you are carrying something that is weightless, that can actually change the way we see, think, and feel about the world. You cause the brain to start seeing a movie that is individualized for every listener. But each listener sees a movie as you're talking about the story. Even the mere prompt of asking me about a teacher or a color took me to a movie. It was very cinematic. It was very, I felt it in my body. And I can hardly think of anything more powerful or more important than that. And if stories were to be used for the greatest good, both for the individual and society at large, and you were able to create a prescription as the storyteller you are who knows this technology well, what would your prescription be? And what do you imagine the outcome would be based on that prescription? It's a great question. Um, you're, you're talking about sort of stories that are as a prescription, stories and what they might offer yes. to the world. And I think there are the three realms that, that I believe are most important. And stories can help us in all of these. I think that gratitude, curiosity, and generosity, those three elements, if people could visit the realm of story to find in themselves gratitude for what they have. You know, gratitude, as we say, is it's appreciation over time. If they could, first of all, live life more grateful, and the stories that we tell allow us to appreciate, allow us to cultivate that appreciation, and allow us to, to shape it into, into genuine gratitude, we would be living richer lives. Right. The paradox of the modern world is that it gives us almost everything we need, except for the ability to appreciate what we have. So true. And then I mean, to connect to Talmud, you would say, who is rich? One who appreciates what they have. And I, I love to, and to go from Talmud to Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, when you have a sore throat, you become enlightened because you suddenly realize how great it was not to have that sore throat. And I often take for granted the fact that I have hot water until I'm enlightened and my hot water heater goes on the fritz and I have to take a cold shower. <laughs> right. And it's like, wow, hot water is incredible. And I take it so for granted. But back to your point. So if stories are a way to lead us back to gratitude, it's a gift we can give ourselves. And we can either get it by the hot water going out, or we can get it by a story. It's like my dad used to say, he would say, um, if you tell a kid don't stick beans up your nose. You know what they're going to do? <laughs> they're going to stick beans up their nose. Exactly. Sure. But because he told it to me as a little story, then when I heard that, I said, oh, then I'm not going to be like that kid and I'm not going to stick beans up my nose. So he created that in the story so I could take it in. And I think oh, that's what we can do brilliant. with gratitude and appreciation is be able to, to do that. So gratitude is one, one aspect of that. I think curiosity is key and we we think about you know that conversation about um a race that we've been meaning to have for mm -hmm. 400 years it's maybe god willing we're finally beginning um there's a way that we all can be more curious 
to be curious, you need to be open. You need to be ready to not know. There's a kind of a vulnerability that goes with curiosity. Rosalind Bresnik Perry, may her memory be for a blessing. She was a storyteller I loved. She grew up in little shtetl in Eastern Europe and used to dance on tables in New York. It just, just, oh she was that kind of spirit. Gosh. She was lovely. Um, she, she said, you know, it is impossible to hate someone once you truly hear their story. So true, by the way. I see people with vastly differing worldviews in my office, and I love them in spite of the fact that if I had read about them, uh, I, I might think, oh, wow, this is a person with whom I have nothing in common. And lo and behold, we have our humanity. And even though they may think theologically or politically so differently from the way I do, I love them. So that to me is a stance of how to get to curiosity. And I think about, I think about people I'm working with these days. I'm doing some training for uh, groups of seniors. And I see my class mostly consists of, of what we'd call older women who are in our society invisible. And yet I see them and hear them in terms of their stories, and they are rich. You know, these memories that they have after a lifetime, and I think, why is it that we really cannot begin as a society to be more curious, back to curiosity, about our seniors and about our elders and see them for the rich treasures of stories they have. So curiosity would be the next realm, right? So we have, we have gratitude, curiosity, and then generosity. Gratitude naturally leads to generosity. And we have so much to share and so much to give, and we don't, we don't think about it. And that might be generosity in terms of listening, which again connects back to curiosity. It's generosity in terms of, of teaching. And I think that, that the stories we tell can bring us back to a point of, of balance, where we say, you know what? I am so blessed with what I have. I can appreciate it. I can be open and curious. And I have plenty to share. One story I love to tell is um, the Yiddish story of luck versus wisdom. It's possibly my favorite of your stories. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. Um, I love it so much. Well, at the, at the beginning of that story, I always interview an audience and I say, what's more important in life, luck or wisdom? And they go back and forth and back and forth. And, um, and I think about the various responses. Of course, in the course of the story, um, it actually answers the question, which is, which is rare because it's a Jewish story and it actually gives it a, an they answer. Usually yeah, Jewish stories usually don't give you an answer, do they? They answer with well, they a They give you some third answer. Is this or is it this? Well, really, actually, it's that. <laughs> on the one hand, it could be this. But on the other hand, and on the third hand. That's exactly. So, so. Um, so after going through, I, I also love to recount um, of all the various answers I've gotten. My favorite came like from an eight-year-old girl. You know, I said, what's more important to be lucky or wise? And she said, you know, if I had a choice, I'd rather be wise. Mm. I said, yeah, so tell me why. She said, you know, I think I already am lucky. 
And I thought, what a wise young woman this is (laughs) to realize how lucky she is. And we are all so lucky in ways we can hardly appreciate. Right. Especially if you're born in the first world and have all of the incredible amenities that we just take for granted. Right. Yeah. And to be able to, to just appreciate what we have is, is a pretty much a full-time job. And we need to get, get just enough perspective on that to do it. And the stories we tell bring us around to see that. And she got it. Joel, you are, a, in my eyes, legitimately a living treasure. I'm so grateful to know you, to know your work, to have recently befriended you. Um, and uh, it, is, it is my deepest wish that your message can get out there to the masses because I think that the stories that you have access to and that you provide and that you are trying to act as the midwife, so to speak, for others to access their own is really what gives life meaning. Um, Joel, thank you so much. Adam, thank you for having me. Be well and pass the stories on. I will do. I will. uh, Yes, they are now. They are now entrusted with me. And uh, any of you who wishes to have Joel's stories entrusted with you, you can find his material on his website, on Amazon, on Audible, in so many places. And uh, I have a few guarantees in life, but I, I, I think these are guaranteed to delight you. Thank you so much, Joel. Thank you. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening, share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe.